Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Power Your Life Radio Show with host and success doc, Joanne White. Author, speaker, certified coach, and energy master, Doc White gets to the heart of what matters most. She features guests and experts to help you consciously create more success, health, and wellness in every area of your life, work, and relationships. They'll share their success stories, wisdom, and know-how to help you shine more light onto your day and into your life. Power your life right now. Here's Joanne White. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us on Power Your Life, and it is the last day of Women's History Month, so I'm celebrating women, yes, and by celebrating women, I have a very special guest who is been who has been on the show before, but we wanted her back so much that here she is, and I am delighted. Born an, orf- an orphan in a remote village, Rachel Beck, who is a wonderful author, was adopted and raised by a white Jewish family in America. The mysterious death of her biological mother foreshadows the sensitive feminine health issues that she faced in her life, including a battle with endometriosis, infertility, failed adoption, and the decision to embrace hysterectomy, as well as creating a new and incredible life. Her cross-cultural adoption love story flies in the face of society's expectations for women to look in a certain way, be a certain way, and slip comfortably into the American dream. She has this beautiful teaching memoir, Finding Your Way When Life Changes Your Plans, which is an inspiring perspective for women as well as men, adoptive parents as well as adoptees, with frank discussion and emotions of all sides of the adoption, encounters with racism, as well as Rachel's path to a loss of motherhood and her courageous rebirth. This book illustrates how the end of one road can be and also is the beginning of another and how the unforeseen is also beautiful and perhaps more fulfilling than we could ever have imagined. Welcome back, Rachel Beck. Thank you so much for having me back. It's an honor and a privilege. The honor and privilege is mine, sweetheart. So you and I were talking a little bit before the show about because it talked about the mysterious death of your mo- of of your biological mom and I asked do you know much about her and then we started talking about your dad so which you don't know so can you share some of that too with with our listeners please Absolutely all I know is um there were letters you know, being born in India, being born an orphan, um, my mom did die two days after giving birth. I was passed, I was taken care of um, by somebody, and then I was taken to the home of the founder of an orphanage, and I stayed in her home till I was adopted. I don't know my mother, biological mother's name. I only know my biological father's name. But in letters that were kept that I received when I turned 16, 
team that went back and forth with the founder of the orphanage, and one of the letters that said my mom had died two days after giving birth. So I've always wanted to see a photo of her or at least know her name. That's a very big empty piece for me. And when I'm in India, which I do travel to, I go by cemeteries wondering if she's there. It's a very, it's a missing piece of a puzzle that I've been trying to solve for 45 years. Now, the, the founder of this orphanage, do you, have you spoken to the founder personally afterwards, and they don't have any pictures or any, any leads for you in terms of your dad or anything like that? Um, she has passed away, um, and her remains were actually brought to the orphanage, and there's, a, you know, a grave site for her, and I've, I've sat at the grave site and thanked her for saving my life. Because I was borderline comatose and extremely malnourished, they knocked on the door and said, can you help her? Uh, she was a missionary and worked at one, and a nurse at one of the biggest hospitals in India. So there's limited information. It was the 1970s. Um, I was also in the hospital. And so my first trip back, I went there. And I go there to that hospital because sometimes I take Europeans or Americans and this is a world-renowned hospital. It's hard, you know, have very limited information. It was a different time. It was a very different time. All I have is one specific name. I physically search while I'm there, and people will give me a little piece of the puzzle, and then I'll go search. And I come home, and it takes me weeks and weeks to process the information that I've learned. Ironically, there are people who can un- unlock other pieces to the puzzle, but they're extremely difficult to get a hold of. And I have other people in India who are trying to help me. Okay. So hopefully something will, will be unraveled. And and your dad, do you know anything about him? Other than the only thing name? I know... Uh, the only thing I know is that he was very young when he had me. He was about 17. I know that he tried. Uh, and we can't verify whether or not he was my father, and that makes it really hard, too. Some people say, yes, it was him. He did drop you off to, you know, to her home. And then we're having a problem verifying if that was actually him. And then I've met people who said, I know your father. I said, you do, and nobody knows his name except for three people in my life. And I said, what's his name? And he said his name. So I got very excited. And so he wrote down, he said he had gone to school with him, and then he wrote down the name of the town where he was last seen. So I went to the town with three friends um, and, you know, physically searched. It's a different, where I come from is a very remote small, small, tiny village. And most people don't leave there. So there is a percentage of a chance that I could find him. And I don't lose hope any day. Well, I'm with you in terms of hope, and and maybe someday that will happen, and hopefully it's sooner than later because that would be a beautiful reconnection and just finding out so much more in terms of the, the missing pieces of your history, which which is important to us. So, it's so you and important. I, 
Yes, it it really is. And and to I mean you you had wonderful parents, adoptive parents and and you were raised in a beautiful way, but there's this piece of well, you know, of really the who am I? Who who am I? A piece of that. I mean, you grew, you evolved, but there's there's so much missing in terms like you said, if you had a picture of your mom or knew more about what she was like and your dad and had some memories and some some memories of theirs that that you could be a part of in some way, that would be a beautiful experience. So I'm hoping yes. with you. Now, we talked last time about your book, which is an incredible book, and I, I want to go over it just briefly because I really want to focus on some of the other aspects of what we, you and I, want to talk about today in terms of we empathy and, again, celebrating women and talking about that. So tell our listeners, what's what's something that's really, really essential and important as a takeaway for them? Because everybody needs to get this book, Finding Your Way When Life Changes Your Plans. What's important that you want listeners to remember and to, to sort of savor from this book? That it's my memoir, that I poured my heart and soul into it. And the idea of my book actually came from a really good friend of mine that I met in India but lives in the States. I shared very deep things to inspire people, to motivate them. My story is extremely complex, you know, battling a disease for 20 years. Um, I've dealt with so much, you know, racism, anti-Semitism. I've battled infertility. I've had more surgeries than most people will ever have in their lifetime. So my goal is when people, be, you know, pick up the book, that they're inspired. And I made a conscious choice when I wrote it. I'm donating part of the money going back to the orphanage. That's extremely important to me because I never forget where I come from. And also to hear from an adoptee's perspective because I give a lot of advice. And there's a lot of books out there on adoption. And they're wonderful and they're great. I've read many of them. What connects me when I pick up a book about adoption, I look immediately to see if the person was adopted. And then I connect with the book on an empathic level because as an adoptee, it is a very different experience unless you have walked our shoes. It's very hard. There's a clinical aspect of it, and there's all the research and all the statistics, and I love them too. But you have a connection. You know, and I've had um, adoptees reach out to me after reading the book, and they're like, thank you, which is exactly what I felt. The parents who reached out and said, thank you. I adopted children. I never understood it. There's a tremendous amount of pressure for adoptees that are put on adoptees. And that's what I'm, I tried to say in the book, and please stop doing this. Yes, the grateful were adopted, but our life is out of our control. We had no in the very beginning of my life from one from zero to one I had no control over. So this is people will come up and say, um, to me and my mother, obviously her being white, she being well, Oh, you don't look like your mom and we say, Okay, it's adopted And they'll say, Aren't you so lucky? And my mother's response and I love her for this, she says, We're the lucky ones. We, we, we got her, and I'll say, and I'm lucky, too. 
But there's a tremendous amount of pressure put on adoptees that's not put on biological children to be grateful. And I don't think it's fair, and I talk about that. I talk about the emotions that we deal with, um, you know, separation, anxiety, insecurity issues. I've always wondered why I wasn't good enough. Why, how could someone not, you know, what, what could I have done wrong that you were okay walking away? And I am very pro-adoption. There are so many children in this world that need, that need homes. I'm just talking about my experience with emotions. It's trust issues. You know, I have a lot, because of the abandonment issues, I have trust issues with, with people. Will they show up? Will they be there? Will they stay there? And are they are they ingenuous or genuine? Do they? Yeah, I, I think that's so important. And, and and I really understand what you said in terms of there's so much more put on uh, someone who's adopted because you've got to prove yourself in some way because somebody chose you. Okay, now that you chose me, how do I? I have to live up to whatever your expectation is, and it could be beyond who I am or what I'm capable of, and yet I have to continuously prove that. So that could be very disconcerting and and difficult, and yet you are beautiful and have emerged strong in spite of all of that, so I commend you, and I think you, you, know, you do so much for so many other people. So thank you for that. So let's shift gears a little bit because we're. this is not only about adoptees and, and feeling empowered and being able to move forward in their lives, in your life, and, and feel that they have something to give, not just something, but a lot to give back to to society, to be who they, they choose to be by themselves and not what anybody else labels them. And... Why is it so important about women? Firstly, let's talk about what does it mean? What does women's empowerment mean? It means everything. It means <laughs> everything. Uh, here's just, here, look, I am honored and grateful to the women who opened the doors for us, who worked really hard, you know, for us to have voting rights, for us to be in the positions we are today. So I feel very, very strong that we need to empower the next generation to set that example. I think women can accomplish anything when we come together. Sometimes women can be the worst enemies, and that's what I'm trying to change. I'm trying to say we can all succeed. We can celebrate each other's successes. We can stand by each other. We don't need to pull each other down. We can lift each other up, and we can do it together. And you know, it's so real. I, it's it, sorry. It's so very important because, like you said, a lot of women they look at someone, another woman who's successful, and there's a feeling of envy and jealousy, and. Again, what you just said, when we, when we are lifting others up, the other women up, and, and even other men, when we are lifting people up, we also are being lifted. We are also honoring who we are and embracing that in a, in a wonderful, beautiful way, and that's so very important. And to the people who feel, well, 
she's better than me or or why is she getting whatever accolades and whatever what's wrong with me it's about recognizing that there's a part of us in all of us i don't know how else to say it but we're there's a strong connection and like what you said is is so crucial that we need to not be in this divisive state and, and really celebrate one another because it brings us together exactly. and not and not only strengthens each each person but it strengthens our world and you talked also Rachel about racism and what you have had to go through um as an american with with a different history a different identity also in terms of being jewish and there's there's so much racism today whether it's about jews or about asian americans or 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 afro americans there is so much divisiveness and it's time to stop so what do you want to say that can i mean what 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 do you think we need to change the tide to move us forward into the recognition of this connectedness, this oneness? The way to do it is through education, and it's to use our voices. And that's what you and I do every day, right? We are trying to send the energy of positivity up into the atmosphere. So by using our voices for love, we can silence the hate. And all we have to do is make our voices louder. I had five instances since March, uh, racial events since March. Um, Three of them, I was extremely scared for my life. We have got to change this. And we do it by saying Yes. Sorry, just recently you're talking about? Yes, since March. Uh, March, um, you know, meaning like March, like Ford. So the way to do it is to talk about it, to have the conversation. Some people are not comfortable having the conversation, and that's how you move this country forward. You, you have a conversation and you say racism is a trauma. It's a deep, deep trauma. So every time I have an event, it opens the door to every other event that I've had. It, 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 it's like a chain reaction of pain all over again. And so I'm trying to teach people about that, that there's a way to do this where people can be respectful, where they can be kind. All skin color is beautiful. No skin color should define a human being. Our color is unique. It belongs to us. We are rainbow of different colors, and I think that's wonderful. It would be very boring if the world was just one way or people were one way. So instead of me getting upset or angry about that, I educate people. I educate people and say, you know, this is how this feels. I have an event and there's a day after that I can't get off the couch because the trauma was so real. And we talk about it. People talk about the events, they don't necessarily, we need to talk more about the trauma around racism. You know, there's also so much, and and you're right, people need to talk about it. 
And, but people, sometimes people think, well, there is no racism. And, and also that there is no racism as part of our culture, which is ridiculous, because there is. And in order to get past it, like you said, that people are going to be uncomfortable often about having those conversations, but they need to know and they need to be able to vocalize. And it's so important when you are sharing just what you went through, those experiences, because when someone has gone through a a circumstance whereby they, they feel challenged by racist, Race, another racist person or whatever, like you said, there is trauma. And somebody doesn't even know what that's like. Somebody has never experienced it. Just It's like just because of who you are, whether you're in a, in a restaurant, in a, in a grocery store, walking down the street or whatever, you can be condemned, beaten, or, or verbally abused because of something different or the way another person perceives you. And that is totally, as far as you and I are concerned, totally, totally unacceptable. I'm so glad that you are doing these conversations and talking to people and even sharing the uncomfortable moments that you go through because people need to know what that means and know how it feels and empathize. So let's shift to empathy because when you and I were talking about what should we do on on the show? We, you brought up the, that we need more empathy. We need more we empathy, and I loved it. So, firstly, what's empathy? How is empathy different from sympathy? And what is empathy, Rachel? Empathy is, and I'm an empath. I don't know if you know that or not, but so am I. <laughs> oh, that makes sense. <laughs> so, <laughs> being an empath and being an empathetic human being it is what this world needs right now. And to me, it's about truly listening. Are you there for that human being? Are you understanding what their story is? It's not prejudging somebody. It's not criticizing them. It's saying, okay, sit down, tell me your story. What's going on in your life? And this is what people need right now in this pandemic. They, they're losing jobs, they're losing homes, they're losing loved ones. I'm asking people to spread empathy and to make that number one right now. I remember empathetic people. I really, truly do. That took their time to say, are you okay? How are you doing today? To truly listen. Empathy is crucial. It, it, it is so crucial. If you're going through your day and you're really, really busy, and then let's say one of my best friends texts me and says, Rach, I need to jump on the phone with you right now. Something's going on. I stop everything I'm doing, and I jump on the phone with her. That's being an empathetic human being. It's saying someone needs me, somebody's hurting. What can I do for them right now? You know, and and I totally agree. And it isn't only just to your friend. I remember coming in into, actually I was getting ready to come into my house, and there was a woman on the street who had bent down, and she looked like she was crying. And I went over to her. I didn't know who she was. And I said, are you okay? Do you need something? And 
And she she was a little embarrassed about crying, but she said, "No, thank you, but I appreciate you taking the mo- you know taking the time." And we need, like you said, we need to take that time, whether it's a moment, whether it's five moments, what whatever it is, to truly be there and listen and understand and and offer our help, offer our support, because it means so much to another person, even beyond what we can understand. And we need to be there for each other. So how else can we create more re-empathy? What, what's needed not only from one-to-one person, but in our society and in our world? To set the example, to set a positive example. And I, I just had an experience with this, like, a couple months ago. I was in the grocery store. Um, the guy that was working there had, you know, dropped a bunch of stuff. He was, you know, loading up the shelves. And I bent down and said, do you need help? And I'm helping him. Meanwhile, a guy walks by and starts laughing at the guy on the ground, right? And then keeps going. And so I help him say, no, ma'am, thank you so much, but I appreciate you asking. And then I'm in the checkout line, and the guy comes up to me that had laughed, and said, thank you. And I said, for what? He goes, I shouldn't have laughed at him. He's like, I watched what you did. You bent down. You helped him, you know, pick up stuff. He's like, that was a very teachable moment for me. And I said, you're welcome. He's like, I'm embarrassed that I laughed at him. And here you are. You're bending down, helping him. And he really came out. He said, thank you. It's a teachable moment for me. And so that's what we can do. You can set an example and say, look, someone fell down. Are you going to help pick them up or are you going to laugh at them? And so or not only, them. or just ignore them. Or just ignore <laughs> you know, them. Yeah. yeah. Or just <laughs> ignore them. So that's how you do it. I mean, I was really moved that this guy came back to me and he was like, I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed by what I did and then I'm watching what you did and I shouldn't have treated him that way. You know, what was so wonderful is that he saw that, like like you said, a teachable moment, and he recognized what he did, and and he he actually felt something because of what he did, and recognized that he could have he could have made another choice, like what you did. He could have chosen to support that person rather than than laugh and take it so lightly, and and that's what we need. I do that for animals, too. I mean, I, you know, I, I'll see, I have this story, I'll see a, a bird that looks like it needs something, and, and, and I'll go to see if it needs some help or whatever. I've rescued even a frog that, that was injured by a car. Because I think that, that empathy isn't just human beings. If we need to fix this world and make it more beautiful, we have to do so for all of the beings that are in it and feel that connection because we depend on on other beings and they depend on us. And empathy isn't just a word and an emotion. It is an action. And that's what some people are missing. It It is an action. You know, just... Just like if somebody's hurting, you know, you're taking them to the doctor or you're calling your friend if you know they had a hard day. It is an action. So I'm trying to teach people to take that emotion and then step into action. That's the disconnect. 
that's the big disconnect. That's what we need to do. Move it forward this way and take action. You know, that's so important because we could feel strongly about, oh, wow, that's a shame what that happened to, the, happened to that person, or I feel badly, but you're so right, Rachel. So then what's the next step? Well, to move, to do something, to, to offer some help, some solace, some whatever it is, to be able to support that person in a way by doing something, by acting, by, not to, by being more present than just the feeling, and that's, that's so crucial. So you also talk a lot about social media and being more positive in social media, and you do that daily with what you're doing on LinkedIn. So share with what, what you mean by that with our listeners, Rachel. So social media is a responsibility, and some people don't, and I can say that as an influencer, some people don't take that responsibility seriously enough. I do. I'm very deeply conscious of every word I put out into the world on social media. So I choose to use social media in a positive way. I choose to only to educate people, to take them forward in, in positive energy. And you can do it. You don't have to be on social media um, spitting out hate. And I, it's really important. It's, like, really, really important. And if you're not, if you're taking it not as a responsibility, then you're doing social media wrong. You're doing it wrong. You and I take it as a huge responsibility. I totally agree. I think it's so important. I mean, it, to me, it's it's about helping other people feel good, helping other people connect with with themselves and with others in, in a more positive, more loving, like you said, way, and also being able to look at issues that need to be addressed and, and do so lovingly. I find it very difficult when there are such oftentimes people responding to posts so critically. It's like, I don't get it. I really, I, I, I don't understand it, and I'm not sure what to do about that. I've had that happen a few times, and I kind of froze. What do you suggest when when other people do that? Well, this is how I handle it because we all go through it, my friend. <laughs> um, for me, it's because you, you control your social media network. That's what it comes down to. Like, I put a bubble around my network, and I keep them surrounded by positive, kind people only. So um, you can delete, block that person. I try to tell people this. What has happened since last March, since the pandemic started? Everybody's on social media right now. This is how you want to market your business. This is the biggest interview that you're going to do. So... When people put out critical words and stuff, they're showing who they are and not you. Because I've interviewed, had HR people on my shows, and they said, yes, when they're going through the interview process, they're going to social media feeds. They're looking at what what people, future, what candidates who are applying for a job, what they're saying on social media. Like, what kind of messages are they putting out into the world? And that's what's so important. So you just, you know, it's about them. It's not about you. So that's it. Some people feel like they need to accept everybody into their network. They don't. 
Some people don't, you know, want to delete or block. You can do it. It's your network. You control who comes in and who comes out of it. When someone shows, when they write negative comments or they're critical, that's about them and it's not about you. You know, the most important thing is to create boundaries on social media. Some people don't do that. I have very strong boundaries on social media and I teach them all that, you know, don't let people cross your boundaries. So those are things that you know. Yeah, I think that's so important, the boundaries. And oftentimes, you know, I even work with a client who was very concerned about, well, how do I keep a boundary not just in social media, but she had a relative who was very... Up, not only oppositional, but angry and, and and mistreating her. And I said, you need to. She said, I said, you need to create a boundary. I'm. She said, but she's my relative. I said, yeah, but you have to protect yourself. So, so I totally agree with that. I just don't understand, though. Okay, when we're putting out like you and I do, positive, uplifting kinds of things. How you could how it could be criticized that that's that's my confusion. Well, how would you why why and how would you criticize something that that's representative of joy or beauty or love or support that that just it, that just perplexes me. Yeah, I mean, it makes you go why I'm talking about love, and then you realize you know there are people who want to change their lives that don't do it right. You know, they talk about it, they talk about it, talk about it, but they don't do it. And then there's people like you, and we change our lives. We do what we have to do. So if people are going to still stay in that space of being critical, judgmental, being, you know, condemning others, that's their journey. I don't think that, you know, you can't take that journey on. I don't take on the negative journeys. And that's No, and I, and I don't either. I just, I just wonder, like, what? That's <laughs> What? Who? Why? You know, it just—it's like I said, it's perplexing. But I also think that that again, those people that are doing that, they are—you know—they are the ones that are also keeping what we just talked about, racism and and lack of empathy and, and all of that stuff of, against other people. They're keeping that alive and and continuing to birth that in some way, shape, or form by their remarks, by their need to be critical. And uh, like you said, I don't have time for it either. I just, just to me, it's just so confusing, but I, but I don't have time for it either. So what do we need to do? Because we've talked a lot about empathy and, and empowerment and love. How do we birth? more love onto this planet. You know, I was watching something this morning about now we're going, we're, you know, getting ready in a in few years or whatever to send people into space. And, I, and, and the first response in my head was, okay, great. So we've got to learn how to take care of our planet before we destroy another, okay? And, and that sounds horrific, but we really need to do something to to be able to create more loving life. So what do you recommend? I believe in karma, okay? So I believe in treating people the way I want to be treated. I always have. I think that karma is very very powerful. So I think people like you and me, we need to keep sending that message. 
we need you can't be silent when it comes to love and hope and kindness. We can't do it. People right now need hope. They need kindness. They are hurting. You and I know what's going on with people behind the scenes. They need it. This is what they need right now. So we're going to take the energy from the bottom of my toes out to our head, and we're going to spread it around, and we're going to blanket this earth with love and kindness. No matter how hard it is, no matter how hard you and I work to achieve this every single day, we're not going to quit until we win. It takes determination. It, ter- it takes power and motivation to accomplish what you and I are trying to do. The only and I believe is- we're going to succeed because that's what we're yeah. here to do. And and we're yes. not alone in this, and that's the beautiful thing. No, yes. We are very blessed because there are a lot of people out there that are supporting us on our journey, and they are phenomenal, wonderful wonderful people and we love them dearly i agree with you 100 percent. good so tell uh tell our listeners a little bit more about your book finding your way when life changes your plans because you are the living proof of that and and you have you know despite all of all of the challenges rachel that you've been through even from like birth from birth, not everybody goes through those kinds of challenges from their first day of, of you know, opening their eyes. You have overcome so much and and are this beautiful, loving example for others. So share a little bit more about this beautiful memoir. Oh, thank you so much for your kind words. I'm deeply humbled. It's to lift people. You know, I went through so much, Joanne, and and through it, I share about, you know, I talk about my miscarriage, and that is something I'm using my voice for, too. There's not, I'm trying to use my voice for the miscarriage community. I'm trying to use my voice for the hysterectomy community, and this is Women's Month. I've been told by other women that I'm not a woman because I'm not a mother. I've been told by other women I'm not a woman because I had a hysterectomy. This is what we need to change. When we close Seriously? out Women's Yes. Yes. So this, as we close out Women's Month, and I did a post about this, about women on, on March 8th, women supporting other women. So we can do better. We can change the vibration. We can change the vibration. So that's I tell this story from a woman's perspective that battled a disease for 20 years, battled infertility, lost a child, had a failed adoption, battled racism, anti-Semitism. But through all of it, and I can see those decisions, I made conscious choices to get back up. I can see him as you and I are talking right now. It was make it or break it moment. I was just diagnosed with PTSD after a severe uh, traumatic event in my life. And so it's really important for me to use my voice for the mental health community. So we can do it. We can do this. You have to want, you have to, want to change the world. You and I don't believe in complaining about everything that's wrong with the world. We see it every day. We know it. And there are people that's all they do all day long is co- complain about how awful everything is. We choose a path of being proactive. And so do many of our friends. 
Yes, I agree. You know, what's so important is that you mentioned conscious choices, and I, and I totally agree with that and support it because you came out of all, all of the challenges that you speak of and all the challenges that you write about in the book. You could have come out embittered, angry, wanting to get back in some way, but that's not the choice that you made for yourself. And the, because that's not the choice, and you made a different choice, a choice to be to stand by love and empathy and support and kindness and, and sharing, you are also changing other people's lives. I'm getting chills from that. You are because you, you, that's, that was the conscious choice that you made, and that's a beautiful choice and such a beautiful way to be, such a beautiful soul. I am truly honored to know you. So tell our listeners, Rachel Beck, how they can get a hold of you, how they can find out more about this book and buy it, and more. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Um, So they can find me on LinkedIn. That would be the easiest way to find me, is just to log on there and put in Rachel Beck. Together, we're going to change the world. You are extremely powerful, strong woman. You have my deepest, deepest respect and love. And the reason why you and I see the world the same is because we also know what happens when the power of positivity comes together. It's a magnet. And we have this with our other friends. It's going to come together and attract more positivity. So I want to say thank you so much. Well, thank you. And I also work with energy. And so what 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 I think is important is from an energetic perspective, if there is one person, two people, three people, four, and that builds in terms of what we're putting out there in the world, beautiful energy and love and support and kindness and empathy, that, that energy is what can shift other people, other beings, our, our world, and create more of a state of of love, and that's what we're here to do. How can people get a hold of your book? It's available on Amazon. Wonderful. And like I said, you need to get this book. It's beautiful, and reading it will will soften you and allow you to understand more about what people go through. And again, remembering this interview, and despite what Rachel Beck went through, her conscious choice was to live with love, understanding, empathy, kindness, and to be able to share that consciously with so many people globally. So. Rachel, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very, very grateful, humbled, and appreciative. Likewise, my friend. Take good care. Have a blessed day. You too. Thank you. Bye. So think about what Rachel said. And and again, the conscious choices that we make every day. What are you choosing today? If somebody is needing help, whether it's on the street or in the store or, or a phone call or, with it, or even on social media, what's the choice that you're going to make? Hopefully it's one of reaching out. Hopefully it's one of empathy and kindness because together, as Rachel said, and I believe wholeheartedly, together 
we can shift and change our world into a more loving, beautiful place that not only are we proud of, but when we go to the next, when we decide to do space travel, we're doing it with more love and more kindness and empathy. So that's the message today. We need more we empathy, and it's up to each and every one of us every single day to do that, to promote that, and to live that, and to be that. And thanks for joining us today. You've been listening to the Power Your Life radio show with host and author, Dr. Joanne White. Listen often and spread the word about the Upbeat Show to enrich you and grow your life in the direction you desire. Listen again and again and visit DocWhite.org for more information and find out how Dr. Joanne can benefit you. Thank you for sharing your day with us and stay tuned for more exciting guests and events to come.